everyone, and welcome to episode number 20 of Relating to DevSecOps, where we explore the development, engineering, security, and operational issues of today so we can explore real-world problems with people that face them. Have you ever wondered how security operations or infrastructure engineers can contribute to the DevSecOps buzzword? Well, stick around to find out because today we are covering some hot topics in the other half of our favorite buzzword DevSecOps, we're going to cover SecOps. Things like automatically spinning up servers, what that means for security, maintenance, the state of security, infrastructure, and what you might be able to do to help your fellow teams with uh, some minimal coding chops and a little bit of thinking differently. I'm Ken Toller, and I'm so excited to have the whole crew of hosts back together today. Simon and Jameson are both on the line, and we're ready to get going. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, review, comment, and throw some feedback our way. We want to make sure that we're representing conversations that you're actually having uh, and that you're interested in hearing about. So, uh, Jameson, Simon, before I get into uh, SecOps and my view on it, you know, welcome back. Uh, it's good to have everybody, you know, back on the horn today. How are y'all doing? Yeah, doing awesome. Very glad to be back. I'm glad we we see Jameson's lovely face as well this time. <laughs> glad glad yeah. to be back as well. You know. So, Jameson, uh, let's start with you, man. Um, what when we say SecOps, you know, we sort of approach DevSecOps from um, like security in DevOps. And we covered that in the first episode and what our, op, you know, what our outlook on DevSecOps is and all that kind of thing. But I come from AppSec. And so that's sort of, you know, my initial mentality. I know you've had some um, history in operations and things like that. Like what is, when somebody says SecOps or SOC or whatever, what does that mean to you? And you know, how does that fit into your world? Yeah, no, I mean, SecOps to me is more of a typical, like, oper- it, it's kind of your operations team, but for security, right? Fundamentally is, is the most basic way to think of it. Um, it. It is definitely an overloaded buzzword that means a dozen to two dozen or, you know, different possible things. But my view on it is kind of, you know, the people that care for your environment, similar to like your ops team would, but in like a different set of responsibilities, right? So if you think about, uh, SecOps as like people running your vulnerability threat management, you know, people doing your firewall reviews, maybe potentially even making those firewall changes, you know, depending on your organization, um, and kind of monitoring any of the output of your security infrastructure, you know, whether that be like your web application firewall or, you know, any anything like that. And it's like if you kind of break down all the different components of you know your security um, layers and how that feeds into you know say an operations team. It's it's like it's the security side of operations, and that that's always kind of how I thought of it. And I, I made a joke in the pre-show that it like reminds me of you know a NASA control room of people at consoles like monitoring things. Like that's, that's how I think of operations, and it's how I think of SecOps. Yeah, that's a that's a great uh, great visual, I think, because it's like you think of all the different systems that have to go into a launch. You see them all in the room, like locked in there. Everybody's got their individual responsibility. I wish we had. Uh, that ratio of security to security operations tasks, though, uh, that would be that would be nice. Yeah, it never worked <laughs> with that type of setup, but that's maybe like the dream yeah. of security operations, or just operations in general. You know, being well staffed and you know, having all of the uh, necessary information. Yeah, man. Some some people I know get to work in some really cool security operations centers. Uh, some other folks I know get to work in uh, more like cubicle looking security operations centers. 
but some are definitely like uh, more modern than others when you look at those uh, those buildings. But yeah, I mean, I, I think I have a similar mentality, but I'll, I'll get into mine. Um, Simon, do you have a similar outlook on that or is yours different at all? Um, very similar, but I don't know if I if I like appreciate SecOps as a buzzword. Uh, you know, just breaking down like our podcast name, DevSecOps, like you take out the dev. Okay, cool. So take out the whole developer aspect of security, right? You've got essentially like what you want to call the quote unquote IT portion of security and SecOps. So, you know, you're doing incident response, you're doing vendor assessments, you're probably going to want to buy tools that automate some of these things, make your life easier, uh, which, okay, great. Like that's that's all well and good. But to, to Jameson's like aspect, just the the word SecOps on its own, you have your NASA control room and all of these people who are monitoring never spoke with the people that actually built the rocket and know what fundamentally could break and like the actual inner working. So I don't know, SecOps seems to be a little turn. I've read in some places that it's interchangeable with DevSecOps, which I don't think is true. Uh, that's just my two cents. Uh, I don't know. It, it feels like a, like a kind of a safety patch, uh, obviously a very important thing, but I, I feel like without the dev in there, you're missing a really crucial aspect of what makes a company secure. Sure. I mean, so this is this is sort of why I like to unpack these buzzwords like SecOps and DevSecOps, because, you know, depending on where you've come from, it's like it can mean, as Jameson said, a bunch of different things, but the functions are sort of the same. So you mentioned, you know, like, oh, if we if we don't have the dev part of DevSecOps, then you know, we're not going to be successful as a company. And I, and I agree. I think that DevSecOps is the buzzword that's trying to create this uh, collaboration between these different teams. But SecOps has been around for years and years and years and years. It's just been security operations. And then, you know, we came up with a cool a truncated <laughs> word to describe all the things that they do. But I, I like this conversation because you know, we've we've always, when we talk about DevSecOps, we think about, well, security isn't being applied to DevOps. And we have this idea of DevOps, CI, CD, and it's all very application-driven and, um, you know, event-driven code automation. It's all very, you know, engineering-centric. Whereas um, operations, if you talk about operations teams, I think that it conveys this idea of like infrastructure and networks and, you know, hardware and establishing firewalls and, you know, data centers and things like that. And so I think um, both of you had touched on elements of this, but I think that most people and I, you know, I'm open to feedback here. Uh, I think that most people think of security operations in the context of a security operations center, like Jameson was talking about, where um, you have these individuals that are performing security functions. They're responding to breaches and incidents and vulnerabilities that get found and things of that nature and monitoring all the security events that might happen. But they are also, I think the SecOps part, the overlay part, is that they're also monitoring some of the same things that operations teams or IT operations or tech ops teams are monitoring, like CPU usage, you know, if there's a denial of service attack, or, you know, they're sort of monitoring some of those same metrics that they're, they're working through. There's also the idea that there's security infrastructure that gets spun up that sometimes security operations teams are responsible for, like deploying the 
hardware behind their scanners or deploying the hardware behind their SIM or configuring those, um, those systems. And that's all security operations as well. So there's a little bit of IT in there. And I think that if we look at DevSecOps from uh, like the SecOps lens, that we start to introduce more of the IT automation as opposed to the application security lens. That's what I'm hoping to get out of this conversation. Um, and I think that that's sort of where I want to go is like, how do we, you know, what does DevSecOps contribute to the SecOps community or to the, like the SecOps lens? Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. And the way you describe it really reminds me of almost the relationship between, you know, you can call a tech leader and an engineering manager with the product manager where they're sort of building the same thing, but they have separate goals. So your, your comment on IT, you know, giving, let's say like access control as an example, you know, tech ops, their primary purpose is to get people the access that they need while sec ops. Okay. Well, let's see, like, is this access appropriate? Does it make sense? Should we be using a different tool that might be more secure and ultimately building the same automation, the same infrastructure and tooling, but like having that different purpose. So like kind of that given pull that I think of when I work with a product manager. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I have a couple of things I think we can noodle on a little bit. Uh, the first I have is around that concept of deploying security infrastructure. So I'll ask, you know, where we think that should lie and whether, you know, Simon, on your side, engineering can, ha can do anything to contribute uh, to this. So the way that I look at it is that we've talked about automating deployments and we've talked about things like Terraform and Ansible and cloud formation and moving to the cloud and CDKs and all these kinds of things. And what sort of popped into my head is there's a lot of things that we're doing in DevOps, deploying infrastructure that we don't ever really bring over to the security operations side of deployment. One of the projects that we just launched in the uh, GitHub repo, which I am on the hook to, uh, to introduce as a video and all of that, is this idea of you know, automatically deploying your scanner. And it's super rudimentary right now. It's, it's, we're, we're, you know, it's used to sort of help teach Terraform in this concept. But I think the idea is how can we think outside the box as operations folks, people that have come from just configuring servers manually, or maybe, you know, they're the security folks that have been using Perl to, you know, do automation to deploy their uh, security servers or whatever it might be, right? What can we do in that aspect to help those folks? And my idea was like, as an application security person, I familiar with Terraform, I can write this Terraform for a Nessus scanner, right? And just like, how do we, how do we work within that? So Jameson, is that like something that you've seen in the wild? Is that something the DevOps team you would take on uh, to do or like, where do you see that responsibility lying? You think like security should be sort of working on their own thing and using this as a tool to hone their coding chops? You know, where do you stand on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think like kind of everything, I think as long as everyone's contributing in like the same framework, right? Or if you create an established baseline or guideline of this is how you work with infrastructure within our company, right? I think anyone can contribute, right? Like, it's, especially even security, right? I think a, a big part of that, um, you know, of what you see today is uh, security teams managing their own cloud infrastructure, you know, managing um, like their individual components uh, within the confines of a larger uh, cloud strategy, right? So you, 
I, I'm I'm pro like uh, you know security teams managing infrastructure right. It's it, they're closest to it. They're the users of the tool. They'll probably understand it the best. They'll get specialized training in both the operations of something as well as like the um, the usage of that thing. You know, take Nessus or you know, any of your VTM tools are, are perfect examples. Um, and then even maybe down to even like the sim infrastructure right. Of they may be deploying their own um, their own tools there. So. It's important, I think, for everyone to kind of have that understanding, similar to how we've driven developers to manage infrastructure. I think, you know, it kind of goes um, to all well, all portions of the uh, organization where you want IT, you want security, you want uh, developers all kind of contributing to whatever your infrastructure's code strategy is. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, let me flip that on, on its head a little bit. Like, how do you feel about uh, engineers deploying and managing their own, like, artifactory server? I mean, that, that really depends, right? When you say engineers, right? <laughs> what is the so population? Is this... You mentioned like, uh, the, you know, security, they're the users of the tool. Uh, you know, they're going to know it inside and out. They're going to know how to configure it and work through, you know, that deployment. Um, and I'm just trying to figure out where that line is, right? Because we talk about engineers uh, deploying their own infrastructure and being a part of that. So they might have their sandbox environment that, uh, you know, they can work through and it gets to a point where once you're in production, you know, maybe DevOps takes over or there's like, you know, there's some gray areas in there. But I mean, I don't know, you tell me, but I don't think that it would be necessarily uh, prudent to have them run the Artifactory server because they've got sort of like better things to do. So it's it's almost like, where do we draw that line? And Simon, if you want to chime in here, you know, do you even want to handle that, you know? Yeah, I'd say real quick on that. The only thing is, I, it de it depends on your organization, right? If you have some really awesome engineers, right? Maybe it's appropriate for them to be the ones managing the artifactory server. I wouldn't advocate for every team to manage their own artifactory server, but I wouldn't necessarily um, dictate the management of that based on um, job function, unless there was some uh, some role or security requirement around you know having that separation. I mean, the I guess that that would be the one maybe disqualifying factor for me would be the separation of duties, right? Where an artifact in a lot of places is like kind of a regulated thing, right? Where we want to make sure that what gets deployed into production um, is in fact what was built, right? Like this is a, the most relevant uh, recent example, obviously being solar winds, but um, along, along those lines, right? You know, some places you even do code signing. So, that would be my maybe reluctance for it, but as far as the general premise of them running, you know, some uh, some individualized piece of infrastructure, I don't necessarily disagree with it. Yeah, I like the I like the uh, separation of duties, and um, I, yeah, I like that that sort of viewpoint because that helps to define like where do we you know where do we sort of. Uh, put a line in the sand of, of who deploys what infrastructure, like how much help is too much help, <laughs> right? So, yeah, exactly. uh, yeah, makes sense. Where do your guardrails, you know, lie more or less? Yeah, with for me, without like clear separation of duties and just checks and balances across the board, that that this whole conversation makes me really uncomfortable. Um, ultimately, we're gonna have different goals in mind, and we're gonna have different ways of testing those goals. And you know, I've I've made some mistakes in my past. I've I've done some pretty horrific things in artifactory and deploying things, and uh, you know, you know, as a as a using the 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 artifact example, you know. 
I think once you've cut a release, that's that's something that's set in stone. Um, there should be a really good reason um, if you're wanting to modify that in any way, shape, or form. You know, that's what minor releases and major releases are for. Um, if that comes to pass for some reason, maybe you corrupted an artifact, you need to get rid of it. Uh, that should ultimately be a, a, a DevOps or a, a you know, that should be on James's side to make that actual physical change. Um, should I have an input? That's, I think that's totally fine. Um, but I, I don't think I should make that call. And for SecOps, I think it's the same thing. You know, if you're creating, you're managing your own, um, you know, environment and you're setting up your automation, I, I think, you know, the forefront, I don't think that, that, you know, Jameson brain is going to be there front and center to make sure that everything is best and brightest. Does that mean you can't start and work on it your own? Sure. I just think you need to have something in place to, to, to test that because again, just our brains are wired differently. No. Uh, yeah. I, I see what you mean there. I mean, I think it, it sort of goes almost the other way with security. I think we love owning our own tools as an industry. You know, we're always spitting up like new tools and we don't want to conform to, you know, testing in the way that everyone else tests. And I think that there is an element of culture in the security industry where we don't want to follow our own rules. I don't know if you've all seen that in your respective uh, organizations, but I know that in general, um, in places I've been, you know, security wants an admin, um, you know, just as engineers want admin. And there's always this, you know, contention about like, well, you know, what what makes you so special security that you get to do these things? And I think that DevSecOps offers us the opportunity to take things like Nessus scanners or you know, whatever you pick your favorite vulnerability scanner server that you want to spin up and allows us to sort of conform to uh, the way that DevOps wants to deploy a server or configure an environment by, you know, DevOps designs the guardrails in the same way that they do for engineering teams. And then security can, you know, take that Terraform module and fill in the variables that they want, uh, you know, open the ports on the security group that they need for Nessus. And it goes into the it, it sort of plugs into the environment in the way that DevOps is uh, wanting to um, enforce. And that helps the overall security posture of the organization. But I think that we as security teams need to be um, aware that what we do when it comes to any infrastructure that we deploy from an operations perspective matters to the overall security posture. Like we can't ignore our own servers. You know, it's like we have to scan our own scanners type of thing. Yeah, and I think that you're starting to see a lot more of that, right? As we look for ways to automate cloud security and you know sec security operations, I guess in the cloud, it may be the buzzword way of thinking about it. Um, but as, as you kind of look at that, you start to see that you know things like continuous monitoring and you know compliance checking uh, on a like routine schedule or constant, uh, constantly, right? Um, you start to see that like sort of guardrails as well as checks that uh, you you were kind of get applied to everyone rather than it being security that's always been auditing um, everybody else. Now you see it as like, we have these automated controls, so they're gonna be applied uniformly and it's gonna impact everybody's uh, workload. So I think that's kind of the, the like you, kind of the evolution of SecOps now you're seeing is uh, as a trend more towards automation and, and do we call it DevSecOps, I guess it's the, uh, joke I can throw in there, but um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I, with that, I think it allows for um, you know for for every, for everyone to work kind of together and on as a as I said before within the same framework, um, so that you can make sure that everything is still secure despite yeah. who's doing it. Or yeah, definitely. I mean, and and 
you know, SecOps um, practitioners are going to have to become more and more familiar with, um, you know, the DevOps tooling or even the cloud tooling. You know, I think that some of some of it is coming in uh, automatically or is supported by SIMs and things. If you're thinking about a security operations center or something along those lines, so you have, um, you know, uh, like CloudTrail and CloudWatch, you know, going directly into Splunk or something. Yeah. So, um, you know, you've got all of this, uh, this data that is automatically generated out of your cloud service providers. That's automatically feeding data into Splunk and, um, the security practitioners and security operations have this ability to consume that data, but they may not understand it completely. And I think that there's a component of being able to take that information and understand it at a, at a granular level and be able to understand what you can get out of these cloud service providers. So they, that, that cloud skill set becomes more and more common between DevOps practitioners and SecOps practitioners. Yeah, I think you see a lot of this. I mean, there's a lot of recent AWS services, right, that are kind of driving this, like a uh, type of automation and alert, um, like auto remediation. I'm trying to remember the buzzword for it. It's killing me. But I can't remember <laughs> it. Um, we'll find it. It's SOAR, right? Uh, shoot. Now, what is it? SOAR. Um, no, I don't, I don't know if that was it. Security but, operations automated response. Is that what it yes. is? Yes. Well, yeah. I think that was more of like the event-driven security stuff. Am I right on that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's more of the event-driven security stuff. But I kind of feel like that's the trend that we're seeing in SecOps, right? Is we're trending towards this model where everything is automated just because there's so much going on and, and you, you know, you have the capability now to do it that... Like you have APIs for all your infrastructure, you have, um, you know, APIs for your security tools and you have serverless compute that you can use to stitch those things together. Um, so as such, they, they have been and um, there's some pretty incredible stuff that people are doing out there now, which um, I would have never expected um, back when, you know, uh, I was first thinking about security operations. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I, I think the source stuff has always fascinated me. I haven't been fortunate enough to work with that um like you know in a working scenario like i've seen a lot of good pocs and i've seen a lot of um folks try it out and i've i've uh demoed some of the tooling and stuff like that but i really haven't uh, seen it in the real world and i think that it's sort of like chaos engineering right where it's so hard to sort of come up with the cases where like an event a security event drives an automatic remediation or a security event, um, you know, has some ladder or uh, logic that it goes through. I think that's really hard to, uh, to work through um, when we can almost barely get scanning together still, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I, I think it's hard to operationalize uh, in a, a big organization, right? Just kind of getting from that old mentality um, to, you know, it's similar to similar to you see with, uh, with even cloud, right? So, um, but I mean, if done right, it, I think it, you know, it, it would make the a large difference for, you know, any organization, but. Yeah. No, I forgot about the SOAR thing. That might be something we want to dig into or uh, figure out if we can come up with some actual use cases in the same way that we're coming up with actual use cases on the just operations front. And that's the thing, right? It's all about the practical application of these technologies um, and what we can what we can show people how to do, um, you know, on the day to day, as opposed to the the POC of you know the perfect world 
I always sort of liken it to, uh, you know, when all the application security tools like scan the OWASP top 10 and the most all in all of the sort of intentionally vulnerable applications. It's like, if you don't find that, I mean, that is the baseline, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I think so. I just, I know probably we could do an entire episode on source. I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but, uh, Electric Eye is a GitHub project that uh, I've been playing with recently. That's just a pure uh, native AWS um, uh, SOAR tool. It's, it feeds from Security Guard, feeds into the um, our feeds from Security uh, Hub, or feeds from Guard Duty into Security Hub, um, and it's just uh, it's it's pretty useful. It has some automated response stuff, obviously, and um, definitely a cool project. Cool, Electric Eye. I'll have to look into it. Um, Named encourage... after the Judas Priest song. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, cool. So uh, we have probably about another five to 10 minutes in us, but one of the other topics I wanted to bring up that I thought might be uh, interesting to get your take on is, uh, from a security operations perspective is inventory. One of, the, one of the things we talk about in applications, we talk about in security is you can't protect what you don't know you have. And... Application inventory has always been this thing that I haven't seen done a hundred percent right. Right, it's it's a constant struggle of you know inventory as it is, but application inventory is like a whole other beast. So, um, where do you all see security operations fitting into the inventory aspect, whether that's cloud or infrastructure or um, or applications? And is there something that we can do to help, uh, you know, the DevSecOps community or the security operations community level up their inventory chops? I mean, for, for me, it comes back to infrastructure as code, right? If all of your servers, everything is, is checked in, right? Um, whether it's in VMware, AWS, Azure, um, you at least have that all in one place, you know, in your infrastructure as code repo so that you're able to identify those and given, you know, APIs and all of your, whatever your compute providers are, are useful for people to do recon. Um, but if you can at least put it in code then anyone should be able to, uh, read it. Yeah, no, I, um, yeah, I agree with that. I, the infrastructure as code thing definitely helps, especially as you're sort of tracking state uh, or, you know, sort of knowing where everything exists. And if you're forcing everything through that, you can have a pretty good un understanding from all, not only the design phase when you're creating those plans, uh, but, you know, you can have a pretty good understanding of where it stands at any given point. Um, Simon, anything to add on that? Yeah, um, taking it to like basically like one level up, um, in terms of just understanding your inventory, just looking at how I, I process things from an engineering perspective, I, I need to abstractify things. There's so many applications, APIs, endpoints are going on. You you have to just bring your sanity back and group those into just, you know, quote unquote applications that people own. And so for me, I think the next big step for, for SecOps in terms of application inventory is just grouping instances, no longer as instances, but applications. Um, you know, when I'm looking at failures, I'm looking at errors or products, you know, I look at it from, from an application. I look at it from a set of APIs. What, what happens when I interact with this API? Not necessarily what, like, I don't care what the instance is. You know, we could have 20 instances of the same application. That, that doesn't matter to me. I want to know what it's doing. So for SecOps, I think that's the, it, it would really help 
explain things. And you know, if you're looking at threat assessment or deep diving issues or looking at you know any sort sort of form of compliance, compliance, sorry, like going from one level up instead of looking at the instance and looking at the actual application itself, it helps you see. Um, you know, what is interacting with this application? What's the ecosystem that you're um, dealing with? Um, what is the purpose of this application? What happens if it goes down? What happens if there's a problem? What sort of data can be lost? Um, I, I think looking at it from just a pure, you know, hey, we have everything logged here, all of the instances of all of our our, our systems that are in the cloud, uh, it's a lot harder to process when you don't have that layer of abstraction available. Yeah, no, I, I like the, the, ab the abstraction layer. Um, that reminds me of uh, like threat modeling. We talked about threat modeling a little bit early in um, uh, in the episodes, and it was, you know, one of the things that we struggle with in threat models, especially if we're coming at it from the assessment point of view or we're just conducting a threat model. It's normally it's it's one of two ways. Either we're conducting a threat model against the infrastructure, and the application is almost not secondary, but it's. It's not the goal of the threat model if the network infrastructure is in play because it just to do the network and the application. I mean, that's a that's a long threat model uh, to try to get all that in one one fell swoop. So usually when we do like an application threat model, we're looking at it in that what you're how you're describing it like this sort of, you know, I've got app one, it connects to app two and a database and the underlying infrastructure of that. Maybe we go one layer down like what server it's on and you know, what IP address it has and things like that, but we're not really digging into like the Linux server and like all the things that could happen to that and, you know, going to that level within like a one to two week engagement. But uh, what I will say is that to Jameson's point, I think that we almost have this ability and I, I haven't figured it out yet. I haven't cracked the code, but to, to have this um, concept of an application by name by entity, like, you know, how we envision this application connecting to things, uh, especially in the world of, you know, containerization and auto scaling. And at any given point, your application could exist on, you know, hardware in the East or hardware in the West. You want to sort of understand like the application to application threats or vulnerabilities or whatever it might be. So I think it's important to have that view, but because we usually inventory uh, against server names or or something like that and, and talk about what applications it contains or maybe there's multiple applications on one server it's hard to sort of grow like tie all that together and i've i'm i'm trying to like find something that's like using like some graphing or something to to help with that um but i think that we're in that world now because everything is operating on labels and tags and if you can get a good sort of handle around that, um, that maybe you can, maybe you can have this more abstracted inventory by risk or by classification or by application family or something. I don't know. How does that sit with you all? No, that, make, that makes sense. I, it's really hard. I, I, I know what you mean in terms of having this tool that kind of gives you this high breath level, just overview of where everything's connected and everything's going on. But I imagine, you know, someone in SecOps is essentially going to be treated like a consultant at that point. Uh, if you're if you're going to a, a product engineer or, or maybe someone in DevOps, like where do you start with that? Like you have you have this giant overview of the land, you're trying to figure something out. Like that basically becomes 20 questions and some someone's not going to spend time to give you the entire history of all the applications, everything that's going on. So 
it's it's kind of in your hands. Where do you start? And I feel like that's ultimately just going to frustrate someone, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, I think if you look at it from the assessment angle, right, I think that's the frustrating part and why we failed for such a long time. And so I'm, I'm, I'm saying almost turn it on its head when you're doing infrastructure as code, like think about how that, how you can carry that because it's a label or, mm. I mean, AWS is using tags. And if you don't, they talk about a tagging strategy and there's a variety of different, uh, you know, elements of how you want to approach that or not elements, but opinions on how you want to approach that. Um, but in, in my head, like my naive head, it's, if I can define, you know, it's almost like transaction logging. If I can define something early enough in the process, it'll carry it through, uh, to, you know, all the entities that make up that application. My point is that if I could just have like the single entity that I can carry through all the way to the end, um, that I could almost identify like where PII is, you know, if I could, if I could say, I want to assess all of the PII apps. And I know that from the beginning, you know, this application is going to have a requirement that it's got to be able to handle PII. So I'm going to classify it as PII. I'm going to label it as PII. Everything that's deployed during this Terraform run is going to be labeled PII. Then that sort of carries out. So when I'm coming at it from the other end and doing that assessment, I'm just searching for that PII label. Similarly, if I have an application team, I can search by that. Uh, or if I have like an application, you know, an application is made up of a, of a variety of components. I can I sort of identify what those components are and some, some cross-reference of that, whether it's like by team and application and region and VPC and, uh, you know, whatever, uh, orchestration layer that I can come up with that application constellation that I can abstract. And I think that would, I mean, that makes sense. That would help demystify turning just an inventory of IDs to something that you can actually work with. Yeah, that's the dream. Do you, I mean, <laughs> in your worlds, does that seem realistic to be able to do that? Or is it just like, you know, we'd have to start from scratch? Not no, totally. I mean, yeah, I think it's realistic, right? I. It starts, it's funny though, because you kind of blend into the different areas of like knowing and understanding how transactions are flowing between, you know, components of your uh, application, uh, application constellation uh, is more of like along the lines of what you would think for an APM tool, right? So like, I don't know a lot of security or I can't think of one offhand, I should say, is um, of any security tool that's like doing that well today, right? So, but there are other tools, you know, that developers are using and that kind of showcase these things. So, yeah, the transaction logging, I think is the, the closest to it. Um, it's just that with inventory, there's always the manual step of someone properly classifying the application at the initial, um, deployment and the enforcement that no changes can happen, um, manually, like in the, in the AWS console, for example, or, you know what I mean? So there's got to be automation from start to finish in order for that to work. Uh, and I think that a lot of organizations are getting there to a degree, at least for the infrastructure. So that's becoming a lot easier. Like, you know, I always say that you're always going to know what you uh, what you're paying for. So AWS will always tell you what you've got in your inventory because, it, you know, it's, it's as long as you're getting charged, you haven't found something. All right. Well, look, um, this has been our first episode back. So hopefully you got a little bit, uh, something out of it. Um, 
you know, as we, as we dig back in and, and grind our, grind our heels into the DevSecOps dirt here, um, we have prepared, uh, some guests. So we'll have, uh, some folks coming on. We're just, I don't want to announce it yet because we, we haven't scheduled, uh, but we have uh, sort of prepared for that. Uh, so keep an eye out for those episodes coming in. We've got some pretty exciting folks coming on. Uh, the other thing is that the Git repo is launched, as I mentioned, uh, it's got the, it's got the project in there, but I haven't done much with it. So don't judge us just yet. Uh, I'll put a video together and hopefully we'll be able to collaborate a little bit more with listeners and with each other uh, on that. Um, as always, thanks for listening. Uh, welcome back to the show and the three of us. Uh, we'll continue to put out content every two weeks um, and we'll uh, continue to uh, work with you all to, to develop a good show that's relevant. If you have any feedback or want to uh, chat with us, you can reach us on Twitter at R2DSO. Uh, on the website, www.r2dso.com. And you can email us um, at security at r2dso.com. Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time.